We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Lakers team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day, just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And the Lakers dropped Game 3 of the 2020 NBA Finals. The unbeatable Lakers lost 115-104 to in a, a rather frustrating performance. And uh, Darius, it's funny, if you would listen to the pod, Darius in the last show was like, yeah, we won by 10, and it was a arm's distance type win. It was never in doubt, but we were not playing well. We were not doing certain things. And he was irritated, and I was rather flippant and chuckled at at that, right? Saying, enjoy this, right? Um, I still believe that, by the way. We'll get into that. It's uh, Both are true. Um, But to to your point, uh, before the series, Jeannie Buss tweeted something uh, that she said, Phil Jackson, you saw, always tell her, before enlightenment, enlightenment, chop wood and carry water, and after enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. And what that means is 
chopping wood and carrying water, at least in our, you know, our, our origins as people, that's how you got the fire started and that's how you built shelter and carrying water was how you made sure that everybody had something to drink and uh, all of the wonderful bits of life that water gives to us, right? Sustenance. And sustenance, yes, right. There's life in life and doing the work. Yeah. Is the and that's what she said. You know, to follow that is that it's about focusing on the task at hand and what's in front of you. And the Lakers have rightfully gotten a lot of praise, and I've given a lot of it myself, and are right to feel very confident that they are going to win this series. But today was a game in which they did not chop wood and carry water. I have some thoughts later on some of the reasons why I think that sinks in with teams, but being that this was something you saw, you had growing irritation about, and you have um, one of the many, many things I, I love about doing this show with you is that you have principles, and you have basketball principles, and it doesn't matter what your name is, it doesn't matter, any of the narrative stuff doesn't matter. There are certain things that are true about the sport, and if you do them, you'll be successful. If you don't do them, you won't be. And, of course, the opponent's talent level will determine and drive and effort will determine how much of that you can get away with. And the Lakers have consistently throughout the season had different points where they flirted with that line. Um, I guess I'd like to talk more about the broader concept before we get into the, and then I want to hear the details from you about the specifics. What... How does a game like this happen, right? Where Bam Adebayo's out, Goran Dragic is out. On paper, you know they've dominated the first two games. On paper, this is was is supposed to be a blowout. We continue our celebration as Laker fans, you know, as we march toward the title. How does a night like this happen? So, I'm going to get my plug in for something that I wrote or said very early in the podcast, Please. Pete. So Please do. this is from my game three preview that I wrote today in advance of this game up at four and blue and gold. I said that game three will be decided by determination and commitment to playing hard and smart for longer than your opponent. And while the mm-hmm. Lakers can win without this, the more important point is that the Lakers cannot lose if they actually do it. The heat, as good and as well-coached and as competitive as they are, can only win if they exceed the Lakers in these areas. Do not let them. Set the terms of the game, bring consistency and effort and smarts in the approach, and walk out of this game with a 3-0 lead. Don't, and, well, see where it gets you. And this is why you should read Darius's post at formblueandgold.com. Look, I'm not saying I saw this coming because mm-hmm. LeBron specifically has had a certain edge about him. Um, and he said it after each game, you know, I'm looking forward to watching the tape. I'm looking forward to sort of looking at ways that we can get better as, as a team. Um, yesterday at some point he tweeted something out about like keeping an edge and keeping a focus Um, And so I thought LeBron understood that idea that I tried to represent in that little excerpt from my preview. Um, 
and we can get into the individual performances of of players in a few minutes or later on in the pod. But I thought this was a game where the Lakers didn't bring the requisite focus. They didn't bring the requisite effort. Um, maybe most important, they didn't bring the requisite respect for the game and for their opponent. And when you do not have those things, it's nearly impossible for you to win, regardless of what the talent discrepancy is. Because you you said something on the pod, it was either the last pod or a few pods ago, about um, hard work and talent, right? Mm-hmm. And right. how like hard work can can beat talent, but talent that works mm-hmm. hard, right? And yeah. over the course of these playoffs... The Lakers have been that team that both has talent and both works hard. And it has played itself out like that in every series, right? Even in the games that they lost, um, I would argue it's been there, save for like one of the losses or the loss against Denver um, was sort of like that, but not to this extent that we saw tonight in game three. Um and I thought the game one loss against Houston played like this as well, except there were yeah. such schematic things that sort of enhanced that, right? Mm-hmm. But um, There were schematic things in this one, too, and we'll get into it later, but that was more severe in that game for sure. But the same principles applied, right? It was, I think with Houston, it was schematics and personnel, right? Um, but look, this is what it was. And on the heels of what I saw from the team... In game two, this was even a level beyond that in terms of how Mm -hmm. um, upsetting and frustrating it was to watch in the moment. The Lakers had 10 first quarter turnovers, man. Like, they were beyond the schematic stuff that bothered them that sort of, like, triggered those those turnovers. There was a bunch of lack of attention to detail that had nothing to do with what Miami was doing to sort of trigger that. I would argue that they go hand in hand, right? So Miami played a 2-3 zone for almost the entirety of game two. We carved it up even though we didn't shoot particularly well. And they switched to a man-to-man scheme, back to which is what they did in game one for most of it. And this time, but they made some adjustments. And we'll get into more of the details a little bit later, but... It's de- you beat a zone in an entirely different way than you beat man-to-man defense, and they were double teaming. They were sending extra help. They were doing making all sorts of sm- adjustments within just saying man-to-man defense. Right? They were not playing the same version of man-to-man defense that they did in game one. And part of those turnovers were yes, those are scheme differences. Spolster's doing everything that he can to win this series, which is his job. Part of it is not having the focus to recognize, oh, this is different than the last couple of games. What are they doing that's different? Okay, this is the counter to that. And then, uh, like, they they tried to, like, they, sh- they adjusted to take away one thing, and we kept trying to do that one thing. And we were just a mess in so many ways, in large part because I, I feel like there wasn't that a- attention. So it's that those scheme differences played into our lack of focus in those 10 turnovers. Yeah, and like I said, too, look, um, I had said this to you before the pod, um, and I'm not trying to put you on blast with this at all, but 
you you know, like you represented in the last pod the idea of being in the moment, and if, and in fact, it, it's it's like what mm-hmm. we call the pod. And your perspective on that was like, look, this is a great team. Like we should be enjoying this team. Like look at the mm-hmm. run that they're on, and that is still totally true. And mm-hmm. the finals are hard. The playoffs are hard. It's not supposed to be you beat everyone by a billion points. And mm-hmm. and that perspective that you brought in that pod is important. And it's a perspective that I often carry myself. And so it's something that I definitely appreciate. Um, there's another facet of being in the moment, though. And it's and it's a phrase, coincidentally enough, that, that like Phil Jackson used to use a lot, right? Which is being present and that idea that you, that sort of chop wood, carry water idea and that idea mm-hmm. of the job's not done and that idea of of this is the task at hand. This is what we need to focus on. Like none of the outside noise matters. None of the big picture stuff matters. The stuff that matters is right here in front of us. And, Mm -hmm. and tonight or in game three, I should say the Lakers did not have that in the moment feeling. That's right? right. Instead, I almost felt like they did zoom out and they did take on that big picture view of we're better mm-hmm. than this team. This That's team can't job. beat us. Like mm-hmm. all we got to do is sort of like execute enough and we're going to win. And it's funny. Look, the Lakers for all the the dicking around they did this game they were down by like three at the end of the first quarter they were down by four at halftime they were down by mm-hmm. five going into the fourth quarter they took a brief lead in the fourth uh, quarter there how were- many times have we said stuff like this that year how many times have you tweeted this year i can't believe they're only down blank yes and almost every single time that they have turned around and ended up winning that game it was because whatever sort of turning it on that they did Sustain like they sustained that over a longer stretch, and this game felt like they did enough to keep it close. They did enough to take a lead, and then they thought their job was done, and the job was not mm-hmm. done. Miami was going to keep on coming. Jimmy Butler was going to keep on coming, and they were going to keep pressing on those same strategic shifts that they had used throughout the game in order to be in control for most of the game, and... They were going to ride that as long as they could, win or lose, and they were going to do it by playing as hard as they could and as smart as they could and as being as locked in as possible. And it got them a win, a well-deserved win, a hard-earned win, and a win that if the Lakers look back on that and say, oh, well, all right, we gave them one. We gave them one rather than they took that. Mm -hmm. How can we now match that and exceed that moving forward? Right. And look, before we started to record, I had said, look, am I worried that the Lakers are going to lose this series? No, I'm not worried about that. But am I worried about like them looking at any individual game as if they can turn it on or at at any time and it's going to be enough? Sure. I'm worried about that because they showed me enough of that in game two. And they 
and they showed me way more than I was willing to take in game three. It was like the dude in seven that died from gluttony, right? Like (laughs) the the Lakers kept feeding me that that Uh spaghetti until my stomach burst, and I sat there and died watching this team basically (laughs) dick around the entire game. And honestly – like, it's true. No, no. And it, everything you've said, the last two pods has been has been true, right? Like it's these, these the details matter. Game four, two thousand NBA Finals. Lakers are in a close game with Indiana, and they are on the road. They have a two one series lead. This was this was before Kobe was Kobe. Kobe really stepped, I think, into superstardom really in this game was it the first like oh that's that's one of those dudes and Shaq fouls out Kobe had missed game three and only played like the first half of game two with a severely sprained ankle and so he's not physically a hundred percent and one of his first his first real iconic finals moment comes down the stretch of that game where the Lakers he leads the Lakers, hits some unbelievable shots, and game goes overtime. Lakers go up 3-1. to one. And that was after losing to Utah and San Antonio and, like, getting swept previous years. That was the series after the famous Shaq to, or Kobe to Shaq lob and that huge comeback against the Portland Trailblazers in Game 7. Do you remember what happened in Game 5? I don't, actually. The the final score of Game 5 of the 2000 NBA Finals was Indiana Pacers 120 Ooh. and the Lakers 87. 120. That's like a – that was not an era of basketball where 120 was normal. It most certainly was not. In fact, that's a great point. Yeah, we we scored 120 in that game in overtime in Game 4, but we didn't. nobody reached 120 in that series in any other game. So the Shaq Kobe Lakers that we all love and and canonize rightfully, um, they go up three one, and it was a very similar feeling to like game after game two, where it was just this, oh we got this, like I really think we got this, you know going up three one you really take take control of a series, and that's hopefully what we'll do in this next game, and that. They played such a similar game to tonight, except nobody really showed up. Like, we didn't lose by 30-some-odd points, right? Um, This game reminded me so much of that game in terms of the approach that that we took. And then we won a contested, you know, game six by five points, where it was kind of an arm's distance win, but... Indiana was going to fight. They, they were in the finals for a reason. The Miami Heat are in the finals for a reason. Yeah. And it's not just because Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic. They did not lose every attribute that got them here to the first place in the first place because those two are not playing in the last couple of games. And they, they are a good team. The Indiana Pacers were a good team. I also like, – like everything you're saying is true. I – I find myself trying to be very sympathetic to the situation, and what I saw was that exhale, that relax, that we got this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right. I, I'm not saying that it, it, you're exactly right what you said about if they say, oh, 
we let them get away with one, if that's the mentality, that's that's poison, right? You don't want that. You want to look at your, look in the mirror and be like, you know, did I chop wood and carry water? Yeah. And if not, what are the ways in which in which I didn't? And so, yeah, I, I'm not worried either because we've seen so many. We've seen this happen in every series. As dominant of a run as this has been, the Lakers have not swept anyone. And I I think there, re- there will be a return to those details as we go forward. But with the whole bubble experience and with just all of how, the, how this has transpired, I feel like I, I have just a little more patience for them to sure. go through the process like like games like this are part of the process i wish they weren't um but like anthony davis right anthony davis was the guy who performed furthest from what he's capable of in this game he was he scored you know 15 points he had how many rebounds he had you know, five boards was a minus 26, uh, picked up a couple of fouls. There were, you know, we didn't get that friendly of a whistle tonight, but I didn't think we deserved that friendly of a whistle. Uh, the whistle and, was indicative of each team's want. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And were there individual plays where I thought we could have gotten a call? Yes. But the overall point is, yeah, we didn't, we didn't deserve a whistle. Um, for AD... This has been a playoffs where we always talked about Anthony Davis as one of the best players in the game. This has been the first playoffs where he has put his stake on the claim that he is the best player in the game, and we've discussed this. And it's easy to get away from, like, your name isn't why people are giving you props, right? It's not, you don't get props because your reputation. Now you will get that to a certain degree. You'll get you get benefit of the doubt because of reputation. But you didn't get to this point. You didn't beat Denver just because your name is Anthony Davis or LeBron James or any of the guys, right? You got there because of the actions that you took to 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 do that. And AD is 27 years old and it's the first time he's ever played at this level. And in Doing that for the Lakers, you get a lot of love. You get a lot of admiration. Um, but after enlightenment, still chop wood and carry water. I'm curious what you saw on the details of that from Anthony Davis's game. Why was it so unimpactful relative to other games we've seen throughout this postseason? See, I don't – so – and I don't know if this is your implication with what you were saying. Um, I don't – I saw much more of a or much less of it being like mental with him or someone who had like read their press clippings or something like that. Um, and much more about some of the schematic things and him not responding well to that. And when coupled with the foul trouble, I just thought it sort of snowballed for him in a negative way where he was never mm-hmm. able to get it back, right? Like, I thought that the best he played was during that third quarter stretch when Vogel just let him play through the fouls, right? Like, mm-hmm. he picked up yeah, his yeah. fourth foul super early, and Vogel just said, F it, like, you're staying in. I'm not taking you out. We're going to need need you to win. Now, granted... um, the Lakers were overall in that quarter a minus one, right? Um, and so I don't necessarily think that 
any Laker was particularly impactful when you lose each quarter by a larger margin, right? Even if it's one point. And I don't have the box score up in front of me, but now I do. So the Lakers lost the first quarter by three, right? And like I said, they were down by three after one. They were down by four after two. The Lakers didn't win a quarter this game. They, like, so that sort of tells you their ability to conjure it up and say, like, we're just going to actually put something together over a prolonged stretch in order to take back control of the game. They never did that. And um, I tweeted this early during the game. This was when AD went out after two fouls, and he had not taken a shot attempt yet. And I said it really reminded me of the game that Toronto played against the Lakers after the restart in the bubble. Um, Toronto double-teamed him a bunch. They really sort of took him out of the flow of what he would do on a normal night, right? And Mm -hmm. that night, AD only had seven shot attempts. And everything he said after that game and in press availability the next day, it was all about I got to be better than that. I got to be more assertive than that. I got to, I got to, I got to. And so I I definitely think AD is going to look at this game film and say, I could have been sharper here. I could have been more aggressive here. I could have been more assertive. Um, and I think he'll work his way through through that. I I think that this was more, though, a confluence of events on a totally new defensive approach that he had not seen this entire series and maybe these entire playoffs, really. Like, a lot of the, because of the uniqueness of what Miami does defensively in terms of their zone and even what they were doing in man to man. But maybe you saw something different. Do like, do you think it was more mental than it was? No, like, it's, I mean, it's yes, like, it's, it's yes to both. This is the point that I, I feel like I, poorly articulated earlier is that to beat what they were doing he had to they had to think about it and adjust and it was about being in the moment right because what he was doing the first two games to beat them he had to do something different right meaning that that on those doubles he was making very poor reads yeah uh he um the Lakers like to post him up at the elbow where they'll have their guard on that side of the court and the guard will like dribble middle and then they'll uh, just to throw that entry pass over the top, right? And usually defenses will play ball denial on the inside and you just throw that pass over the top. Crowder was doing this especially where he was playing the catch hand on the outside, right? And then that's if AD's present, he understands he's got that advantage middle on the cut. So rather than just posting up right there, seal Crowder on your back, and he's not really he's not as between you and the basket as he needs to be, and that's the advantage that's created right there. That wasn't available in the defensive coverage that they ran in the first game, and in the second game, zone's just a completely different animal in terms of how to play altogether. And so little little plays like that where oh they're not playing ball denial on the inside, they're playing it on my catch hand. What's the adjustment that I make to that? He was still trying to catch with his catch hand. That pushes the post catch out a little bit farther away from the basket. His face up is, and then on 
and then they're sending doubles, right? They're sending, uh, you know, the help baseline. They did some some great stuff on the weak side. Yes. They did some pre-switching on Rondo. Just Spolstra was just magnificent in this game in trying everything that it, that they could. So, in terms of AD, and I'm certainly not implying like he's reading his press clippings. No, or, sure, that, sure, that's sure. not. I, I've never had a conversation with AD. I don't know him as a person, but the staying in the moment. AD makes that cut. If AD makes that cut, he beats it, right? The, it's the whole rock, rock, paper, scissors of basketball. But you've got to be able to identify, oh, this is this is the difference. This is what's available. And a lot of it's in the moment. And in the finals, the little advantages go away very quickly. So if you're not locked in, maybe a split second later, you're like, oh, I should have cut there. Yeah. There's always those types of moments. So it is, it's, it's about being in the moment more so. And that because the scheme changes. Well, I also think, too, that um, just speaking in terms of scheme changes, they must have ran like four or five different defensive looks at at AD, um, Mm -hmm. and he actually wasn't even in the game that much because of fouls, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, the stuff that you just described with Crowder, that was one thing that they did. Crowder also fronted him hard, and then they were then showing – then they were showing lob help behind him very early, right? And so the counter there isn't only on AD, it's on the Lakers as well, right? You need to then start to flash and occupy that backside defender so that he can't just stay with AD. And a lot of times it was Jimmy Butler, so he can't just stay with AD there. You need to then create better passing angles and spread them out in in a way where you take away that front. But the Lakers weren't doing that that either. And so it was maybe the seven-minute mark or so, um, eight-minute mark, and AD really hadn't even gotten a touch yet. Like, not yeah. even a touch he had, like, two shots at halftime. I know he's in foul trouble, but it was, yeah. But it's one thing to, like, not get shot up, shots up, right? Oh, but a touch. Yeah, but, no, of but, course. Yeah. But he didn't even get get a touch. And then when he was get, get, getting touches, they were, that's when they were sending hard doubles at him. They were, Crowder was then playing, playing him to then spin, to spin baseline, and then the help was, like, right there on top of him, mm-hmm. right? And so... Mm-hmm. Then, or AD was catching, turning and facing, but doing it all in one motion to, to, to like spin off of the catch in order to go right, right into a drive. But then he's right in the double team's lap and he's like, oh shit, like where'd this guy come, come from? And Mm -hmm. there was a lack of feel from, from him. And some of that's pressing. I feel like one of the things I love about basketball in general is how, and I've made this comparison on on the pod before, but it's like a choose your own adventure book, right? Where yeah. where the 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 decision you make here impacts the next decision and the next decision, and the way that a game flows influences how your perception of what is going on around you is, and that's the beautiful part. That. Yeah. Of the, like that's the beautiful part of the game, and, and every game is its own slightly different choose your own adventure book at the end of it. And it's why some of my most favorite players in the history of the game 
and the players who I appreciate the most have been the thinkers of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's one of the reasons why I always had a soft spot for for even, like, a bench player guy like Luke Walton, because he was a thinker, right? Like, he he had all of this awareness and feel and could make um, analysis spatially, in terms of what was going on around him. And the guys who can sort of float above how the game is trying to influence your mind and instead use your mind to then influence the game, those are the guys who then, when you add high-level skill and or high-level athleticism, those guys rocket up to the top of the league in terms of being the best players. And it's why Mm -hmm. some of the players who are the most athletic Right or have a bunch of skill, but don't think the game that way, end up being two-time all-star or one-time all-star. Right? Because a lot of times, but a lot of times it's because they don't have to. And this goes back to Anthony Davis, right? Like this is hopefully, hopefully he's here a very long time. But this is his first time playing this high level of basketball. This isn't like regular season basketball only bears a passing resemblance to what goes on in these games in that you you have to go deeper into the thought right there's it's a more superficial thought in a regular season game where you're matched up in a series you've got Eric Spolstra's full attention and he's going to do everything he possibly can to stop you and that's partly why a night like tonight is valuable in the long run for a yeah. guy like Anthony Davis. Yeah. And it's it's part of understanding that a guy like AD from his growth spurt on growth spurt on was so individually talented that there were a lot of times that this is true of so many just extraordinarily talented players that they don't have to get as deep into thinking the game. LeBron wasn't thinking the game at this level at the level that he is now, when he was AD's age, that's part of the advantage that we have is that LeBron James has 17 years as the baddest dude on the team. And so, like, so this is, I I guess I have some patience for AD because uh, for sure. he's just so early in his, his journey. And then this is, like, this is part of the process. Well, I would say, say this, too, that after game two, LeBron spoke, a, like, I, I can't remember who asked him the question, but... Um, it was about this idea of not necessarily feeling satisfied because I can't even remember the exact verbiage that was used with him. But he basically talked talked about I have experience at this, right? Like I know how fast a series can turn. I know that you don't want to give the other team life. I know, and he went on and talked about um the Dallas series that they lost, that the Heat lost um, his first year in Miami. And he described this shot that Dwayne Wade hit in front of the Mavericks bench and sort of the celebrating that they did in that moment when they went up 13, only to have the Mavs come all the way back and win that game. And LeBron's the only guy on the team that has that type of experience. Like, that level of experience. There, there are other guys who have finals experience, Rondo, of course, mm-hmm. um, and other guys who have been in high-leverage, um, high-stakes basketball games for sure. But there is something to be said about about 
being up to two zero, not coming out with the requisite effort and attention to detail and failing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I would almost feel. Look, ha- of course, I wanted the Lakers to win. Of course, I wanted them to win, and I was frustrated throughout the game because this would have I been knew... a very disrespectful win, man. We did not deserve this game at all. And so I would never say that I'm happy that they lost, but they deserve to lose. And if they recognize that they deserve to lose and understand the reasons behind it, it can be a positive for them in the course of this series and over the course of of what this team hopes to be over the next two, four, six years, right? Because, right. because in these highest stakes, highest leverage games um, – these are the memories that stick with you. They are the ones that serve as those foundational memories, like um, like that movie, that Pixar movie, that Pixar movie about like all the emotions. Um, oh, uh-huh. uh huh. Inside Out. Inside yeah. Out. That's great right. movie. And how you you know they talked about how like oh those are the gold ball memories, right? Like those are the ones that are that are foundational to your life experience. And those are the ones that you'll have callback on. Even when you're 50 years old, you'll still remember that, you know, that feeling that you had when this thing happened when you were seven. Right. And look, yeah. like I have those, I'm sure you, you I, have absolutely. those too within your basketball life. These are these sort of big game moments. These are the ones that are those gold ball memories, right? Both for positive and for negative. And, if the Lakers are good enough to win a championship this year, you better believe that when they have when these guys as teammate as former teammates fifteen years from now, twenty years from now, have conversations, they'll they'll have recall to those memories and those experiences. And I'm very hopeful that 10, 15 years from now, they'll be able to say, you remember how we tricked off that game three against the Heat, right? Yeah. And they'll be able to call, re- recall on that fondly as a as a foundational memory for them that propelled them in a different direction because this game was full of, of just, like I said, man, lack of respect for for the game, and they need and lack of respect for the Heat, and and the Heat came out there and said, no, 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 like you're not going to do us like that. Um, last point I'm going to make about this because I know you want to jump in here, but do you remember the 2015 Finals when LeBron was super shorthanded against the Warriors? It was the Warriors' first That's the one where Iggy won the... Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, that was the one where Iggy won the Finals MVP. Um, Kyrie got hurt. He hurt his knee, and Kevin Love had been out with his wrecked shoulder. And do you remember how many games that series went? Was that, Did that go five? It went six games. It went six, didn't it? Yes. That's right. And LeBron was a monster. And uh-huh. people questioned whether or not Jimmy Butler would be able to, like, that's the level Jimmy Butler was going to have to play to, is what they were saying, yeah. in, in yeah. order to make this a series. Tonight, that's what he did. He had a 40-point triple-double. <laughs> He's such a bad dude. Three guys have had a 40-point tri- triple-double in an NBA fin- fin- Finals game. Jimmy Butler had one tonight. Three players, man. LeBron and Jerry West are the other two guys, by the way. And so that's the level 
he reached this game. It would have been horrible for the Lakers to actually, for I think for them collectively as as a group, for them to fall onto the types of bad habits that this would encourage for them to win this game. If we won this game, yeah. Yeah, and, and so look, I would never want them to lose a game. But if you're going to lose a game, I hope it's through the blatant level of disrespect that they showed so they know that that is not acceptable for them as as a team. And that's not me saying, oh, that's unacceptable, like I like that asshole fan uh-huh. that is in your Twitter mentions every day about how Frank Vogel didn't make an adjustment <laughs> and how that's unacceptable, right? Or how how is Kuzma playing? That's unacceptable. I don't want to be that dude. The Lakers know what is and is not. They know. They yeah. know. They know they that know. this game was unacceptable, man. They, they know. know. And so, and, yeah. And the Miami Heat are exactly the type of team to take care to beat you in when you're lacking that ingredient because they possess it in such immense quantities, right? Where Jimmy Butler's path from you're not getting D1 offers to junior college to transfer to Marquette to 30th pick to like Jimmy Butler has I said this in the preview Jimmy Butler has earned every bit of real estate in the NBA that he owns and and and, and more right he's he's one of the baddest dudes in the game he plowed the he plowed the land he cut the wood he built the damn house. When you talk about he's 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 earned his real estate, right? That's not like that's how he did it. That's how yep. he did it. He went and cleared the land and then plowed it and then poured the damn concrete himself, man. Like like he is a he is a as self-made superstar as there ever has been in this league. And it's one of the reasons why before the series started we talked so glowingly about this team because their entire team is full of guys that carry that mentality. They're full of, mm-hmm. and, and so when you talk about they're the exact sort of team to put you in your place for trying oh, yeah. to punk them 100%. via yeah. a lack of respect for the game. Yeah. Their whole ethos is yeah. respect for the game. That like that that is heat culture, really. It's what they do. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. Top and top down. It's from coaching and, and to the personnel. Um, we've talked a lot in this first half of, about the human element and the yeah what we saw and why. In the second half, I want to discuss some of the on court manifestations of that. What does that look like, right? To not have focus. We touched on it a little bit, but uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss. That, some personnel, and uh, what the Lakers can do moving forward. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and I haven't had time to make anything. And it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door. And now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and food is on its way. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and food is on its way. 
Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. So I want to talk about that first quarter. Ten turnovers. Uh, We talked a little bit about how Miami adjusted to defending Anthony Davis. Um, The switch... Let's talk first that the switch from the zone to the man, man principles. What did you see specific about their man defense? Some of the things that they were doing that impacted that game. Oh, they stopped giving up the switch defensively. Mm-hmm. I thought that so was what that one mean? of. So we talked about this both in the preview pod and after game game one when they switched so easily, and we were just sort of shocked. That, that was the approach that that they took because they simply allowed LeBron James to hunt down whatever bad defender was on the floor by just putting that guy into a ball screen action, and then Miami just gave up the switch every single single time. This game, what the Heat did from a schematic standpoint is they were not going to give up that switch, and they were going to hedge hard and high. Almost to get on did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Almost to get on top, like oh, way over the top of the ball screen, in order to basically build a wall, um, almost at like a ninety degree angle, right? Like where the defender who is then trying to block LeBron, he, he, if the if the ball screen is taking place right at the top of the key, and let's say Duncan Robinson is on KCP. KCP would come and set that ball screen on so that LeBron could drive to his right hand come coming off of the screen. When Robinson was showing high, his back was to the sideline, right? So he is basically holding up a stop sign to, to LeBron and saying, oh, no, man, like you can go anywhere on the court, but mm-hmm. you're not getting around me. In not order, in yeah, yeah. Like you're not coming this way, and you're not going to get me to switch on you. And he was causing LeBron to to hold up his dribble enough to allow then for Jimmy Butler to recover. And when Jimmy Butler's recovering, the man he's also covering up the passing angle to the player who set that screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and. It made LeBron basically hold hold up his dribble. Jimmy recovers, and they're now reset. And it's mm-hmm. like the screen never happened at all. And LeBron mm-hmm. has basically just moved over seven feet to his right hand. And it's time to reset. And I thought that that really got the Lakers out of their rhythm offensively because it took away four, five, six seconds of of the shot clock with basically nothing happening at all. So game two is interesting to me from Spolstra's perspective in that they stayed in the zone the whole game. And the thought process behind that is we're going to make the Lakers beat us from the outside, right? We'd put pressure on the ball handler and then we'd drop somebody down to the high post. But the requisite number of ball fakes and uh, 
quick ball reversals, beat that 2-3 zone very easily. But the Lakers shooters did not shoot well. And I thought Spolster did a wonderful job in this game of maintaining the concept of making the Lakers beat you from the outside while doing so in a man-to-man coverage that allowed that that wasn't so easily giving up Duncan Robinson on LeBron James, you know, ISOs, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn. And the Lakers run a lot of those ghost screens and guard screens, right, with KCP and with Danny Green. And with them struggling as shooters from the field right now, they that's what Miami Heat are banking on, right? Mm-hmm. They're like those two, Markeith Morris, they're going to have to beat us with their shooting. Because from a personnel standpoint, especially with how Danny Green is shot in these playoffs, uh, that is your best bet. Open shots for those guys are not a great option. Caruso, throw him in there. Rondo, throw him in there. We've got a lot of guys that are like, okay, as shooters. And those hedges and recovers, there's not enough pressure for KCP, because like what beats that would be KCP popping up, you know, LeBron dribble dragging, bringing Robinson with him a little bit. That's a, a pick and pop to KCP. And I suspect we'll see more of that. Uh, but right now with how our shooters are shooting, we're not putting enough pressure on Miami's defense. We, we're not letting them, making them pay for yeah. doing that. And that's really the best that Spolster can do, right, is, is to give up open shots to okay shooters, and then everybody has to do their job on their closeouts, on their box outs. Uh, Jimmy Butler mentioned in the postgame, was really happy with how they rebounded. And that means, you know, Kelly Olenek putting his ass on Anthony Davis, and he doesn't get the rebound, but that clears space for Jimmy to go, uh, go get it. Like Brooke Lopez used to do for us a couple of years ago, right? Those box out, and that's all you got to worry about. We'll go clear up with our sandwich rebounding. And um, I, so that was the big adjustment there. There are some things that the Lakers can uh, do from a personnel standpoint. Um, before we get into that, I guess I – no, let's do that. Let's do that first. Just from a personnel standpoint, uh, you know, our shooters are struggling. Sure. Is there – is there more to it than that? Or what can we be doing to get Danny Green, get KCP and going and make, make Miami pay for those hard hedges? So two things. Before I answer that question, I thought that – and this plays into the idea that we talked about in the first half of the pod. And you brought it up within the context of Anthony Davis, but I think it applied a lot to LeBron James too. Um in this very specific way, the Heat were playing that pick and roll coverage the exact way all game. Yeah. And Braun didn't make any adjustments in no. terms of trying to do it besides splitting the screen. And he got downhill several times, and he was effective at doing that. Um, he made some really good passes to Marquise Morris by splitting that double. And it's not even a double, by splitting the screen up high and then getting into the middle of the floor and then creating advantageous situations. That's still not, that's still not what the Lakers want. What the Lakers want is the matchup that they want. They want LeBron on a worse defender than Jimmy Butler. And then they want him to dictate the, 
flow of the offensive possession from that matchup rather than having to win it on the terms of the Heat. And I thought LeBron's LeBron not not doing enough to find different avenues to set up some of those actions that he wants to dictate the flow of those possessions. Um, that was something I was a bit disappointed with from LeBron's side. But yep. this plays into the personnel question, which is yep. why I brought this up first, yep. is because one of the things that the Lakers guards, the starting guards especially, don't do well is handle the ball, right? KCP and Danny Green are not ball-handling guards, and this is why LeBron is nominally the point guard for that first unit. Um, so in terms of setting up what the Lakers can do from a personnel standpoint, it's not necessarily to get Danny Green and KCP going. I think what the Lakers need to do a little bit more of is probably find more minutes for like Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo in certain instances with LeBron James. Um, and this could work with Danny Green and KCP as well, most likely with KCP too, but they need to use LeBron more as a screener. Yeah, rather that than Al- that Alex Caruso LeBron side pick and roll. I think we're going to see that more in game four. Also, too, like look, even with KCP, KCP has enough ball handling up high to run sort of a fake screen and roll with LeBron. Where Le- like because look, part of the issue here too is who is setting the screen and who is trying to get through the screen. Now that's the chess match. Like, like that's the game within the game, right? And so KCP or even Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo or any one of the Lakers guards, guard guys, them trying to set a screen on Jimmy Butler is problematic when Jimmy just decides I'm not going to be screened or I'm not going mm-hmm. to be hung up on this screen. LeBron setting a screen on Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, or even Kelly Olynyk, right? Those when he's determined to set a screen, those guys also are not going to be able to fight through the screen as well. And mm-hmm. I felt like the Lakers needed to flip the action a little bit more um, rather than continuing to bang their head against the wall by having smaller players set screens on Jimmy Butler. And so when you talk about like schematic adjustments or tweaks that the Lakers can make, I think there's a personnel element to that by having those Rondo Caruso minutes because they're more natural ball, ball handlers within the screen and roll. And if two guys stick with LeBron, those guys can get downhill in ways that where they create four on threes or three on twos on, on, by attacking the basket and attacking the paint, and they can score at the rim or they can kick out to shooters. Um, But you can do that with KCP and Danny Green a little bit too, if only for them to come off the screen, then create a passing angle, then pass the ball to LeBron, and then Mm -hmm. cut through. And then if they decide to double-team LeBron, the one or two times that the Heat actually threw a hard double at LeBron, it was kick out, swing, swing, wide open three in the corner. And Markeith mm-hmm. Morris got a three like that. I think Kyle Kuzma got a three like that. And so those are much more like, oh, no, we changed the terms on you now. Right. 
And the Lakers just need to do more of those little tweaks, right? It's not this whole upend everything that you want want to do. It's let's flip the action, let's let's change the partnership within that action and see if you can get something better. And I just thought from an overall adjustments perspective, both from the coaching staff, but especially I feel like from the players on the floor, because they have a lot of autonomy to do some of this stuff that they just didn't do it. I almost wonder if it's intentional because it continues a theme that we've seen throughout the playoffs of we just don't adjust until we have to. And we've seen that throughout. It's not that we have such little variance in what we've done schematically so far that we've made it through three games and there's been very little in the way of adjustments. And so Spolstra had to go three, four places deep before he got to the thing that worked against what, we, what we've been doing. And I almost wonder if they don't want to make our first adjustment be a mid-game adjustment and give the coaching ta- staff to, and players some tape and feel for what it's like to... Because we've talked so much about the the shape-shifting of this team. Yeah. And I remember after the Game 3 loss to Denver, we, we talked about how now is time... To, sh- to shift shapes. Yeah. And we're at the same point in this series where Spolstra has has found something that's that's good enough. And along, along with the, the effort stuff's all true, right? But the schematic stuff matters as well. And we have – did not change. Like you said, we did not change. We still had Danny Green. We still had KCP setting those um, – those LeBron and AC side ball screens, Rondo uh, and LeBron ball screens are options. And even with Robinson hedging hard, uh, uh, I, I, the other place we can exploit Robinson is as a weak side tagger. Yeah. So maybe I'm kidding myself and thinking that we're ever going to see the LeBron AD pick and roll that was supposed to light our faces on fire. But when a, a man defense is not in a switching coverage and is in a hedge and recover like that, there are a couple of places that AD can be like switching that screener instead of it being Danny or KCP having AD is the screen setter on that. And if, you know, Robinson, if Robin, so Robinson's not going to be guarding AD, but put Robinson in those positions where he's got to get in front of AD. He's got to be the tag man on AD and the athleticism discrepancy there is one in which he's going to have to get all the way in front of AD. And so that may, that means that if he's guarding Danny or KCP, they're going to be wide open. Now, you know, the performance what that means on those, or what the results are, mm-hmm. we'll see. But from a, from a schematic standpoint, a coach's job is to create scenarios to create open shots. The player's got to take it from there. Yeah, put your players but, in a position to succeed. That's what coaching right. is. Right. And uh, with Danny especially, he's at this point of career especially uh, is much more of a standstill shooter than he is on the move. So those ghost screens, those plays where he's, you know, setting that screen on the ball for LeBron and pops out to the top of the key, like Miami's going to live with that shot. They just are. Well, the hip injury is sure. has been unsaid with that too, like Good point. He, mm-hmm. he is compromised with his mobility even more right now. And so, look, it was just a round or so ago where you would still have you would still see Dan, 
Danny Green running the baseline. He'd run that boomerang cut that he made famous in San Antonio where he looks like he's going to clear the side, but instead he just circles right back, Mm -hmm. right, and comes back to ball side and then sets his feet and shoots that shot. And those are good shots for Danny Green typically, Mm -hmm. but he is out there laboring and – he does not look like the same player from a mobility stand, stand standpoint, which is saying something because this year I feel like his mobility has not been the same as what it was even like last year or within the last two or three years. He just looks a bit more compromised out there as an athlete. And um, look, he's going to play hard and he's going to do the right thing, but it's like... You need your base. You need your legs as a shooter. And he has not looked the same since he took that hit in, what was it, game – was that game one? I believe so. Okay. And I think we're going to need him for the other end of the court. Jimmy Butler kicked our ass in this game. And the preferred way of kicking our ass down the stretch was to get KCP on him. Yeah. KCP's a good defender. But his biggest weakness as a defender is that he can get out physical. And what have we said about how to beat this Lakers team? you got to find the places where you are more physical than we are. Yeah. We don't know how to play that style, right? We're used to being the more physical one. The, the hard part is finding places to do that. And then from a personnel standpoint, uh, I don't know if this is a series for KCP to close down the stretch because we can't give that to Jimmy Butler on a consistent basis. And so one of the options, we want to put size on him. And one of the guys that can do that is Danny Green. So even just defensively, I think that there's, we're going to need him at some point. Well, look, this is why, this is why no one's immune from my, for my criticism, this game, Pete, no one is, no one is out of my reach for this Uh game. And look for all the LeBron, LeBron was clearly frustrated with the way that his team played this game. Um, I felt like LeBron was one of the only people who seemed engaged, like to the level he needed to be on some possessions offensively, Uh right? Like not even all, all of the possessions, but, but way more than his teammates where LeBron was not engaged was defensively. Yeah. LeBron's primary defensive assignment is Jimmy Butler. Right, and so for all the for all the talk that you just had about KCP getting abused by Jimmy Butler down the stretch, um, and for all this those fourth quarter point. possessions and third quarter possessions when that happened, the only reason why that happens is because LeBron James gives up the switch. It's the same mm-hmm. switch that the Lake that the Lakers got Miami to give up so mm-hmm. easily. In game one, and the Lakers surrendered that switch very easily in this game. And some of that is on LeBron, like 100%. And he's part of the accountability of the team, right? Like, that's got to be said in the – he can be pissed all he wants, and he has the right to be, right? That was an – as a leader of the team, he's he's right to be mad. He should be mad. They're also – what's great about this team is that people can be like, yes, you were right, but – where like where here. are you right, right. here right mm-hmm. and you can't have mm-hmm. you can't keep my freshman basketball coach when I played in in high school used like used to tell tell us don't keep the gate open 
defensively. And uh-huh. and so that was his term when your stance was too when you, you were up. Yeah. when you weren't squared squared up enough, right? And if you allowed that driving angle, you kept the like you kept the gate open for your guy to attack. Butler is not a shifty guy. What Butler is is he is a get downhill guy, and it's the same way that we talked about Drogic coming into this series. That there's not a lot of shiftiness there. There's shiftiness when they're actually at the basket, and there's craft at the basket. But in order to beat you, there's not. That's not Kyrie Irving with the ball right there, or Jamal right. Murray, or C.J. McCollum. Right? It is. Basically, oh, there's the driving angle. I'm going to take the dry driving angle. And LeBron did not look engaged defensively when defending Jimmy Butler. He did not slide with him. He did not square up against him. He allowed dribble penetration way too often at the point of attack in isolation situations against Jimmy. When screens came against sm- from smaller players like Hero or Duncan Robinson, LeBron just gave up the switch. Now there's there's now maybe this is the scheme, right? Because you don't want for um, them to start running those ghost screen actions with Hero and Robinson, right? Where they come mm-hmm. up and fake that screen and instead just dart into open space and maybe catch that's a player, mm-hmm. right? Because then that's an open three. And so I understand that there's a chess match with the with these types of actions. And the goal is to sort of get an advantageous response from the defense that you can then leverage for your own advantage. But... LeBron just can't lean on Hero and Robinson, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. by the end of the game, those guys weren't coming to set ghost screens. They were coming because they knew that the switch was coming. And then Jimmy was going to go to work against KCP in the same way that we got frustrated when KCP was guarding Kawhi Leonard on opening yeah, night. Small. Right? And that's just how it's going to go. And so Jimmy drew a bunch of fouls. LeBron was getting frustrated because his because those guys weren't holding up in isolation against a guy that he wasn't holding up against in mm-hmm. isolation. And so this is why no one is immune today from my criticism and nor should critique. they be. And yeah. like I hate to be a jerk about some some of this stuff because sometimes No, I feel don't like apologize. I go on don't apologize. It's whatever, not Yeah, but. yeah. No, it's it's this is like all of it's true. All of it's true. We have your preview what you said there about it's not that if they do these things they cannot lose. That's why there's the emphasis on it, right? That's why you're never, you were never wrong, obviously, about what you said in the last pod and what you're saying in this. And there's nothing to apologize for. And that's the – like, it's LeBron James, yeah. And and when we say that, that it's LeBron James, it's because of all of the times he has been in the moment and that he has mastered the game and all of the elements of the game. But – you can't just do that in your mind. You have to do that physically as well. And that, that's something that it's the flip side. It's why LeBron and AD fit together on a broader level so well is that when LeBron doesn't, doesn't stay totally engaged, it's usually physically right it's, yeah. it's they're physical manifestations of it's easier to do this right like we've seen him go into these 
you know, his avatar state, but it's not something it's physically difficult to do. Men- mentally, it's more difficult for AD, but physically, he can just do crazy stuff whenever he wants to. That's the 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 elevators for both are are in different places, right? And so this was like the bad version of LeBron and from that same perspective as AD, it's just that his body is where it shows and his physical, how he acts is, is where it shows. Whereas with AD, it's more mental, the decisions, the five turnovers in the first quarter by himself type of things. Yeah. And look, when it was winning time in game four or whatever, you saw LeBron get on his horse and defend Jamal. I'm talking about the last round and basically defend Mm -hmm. Jamal Murray and he's like, guess what? I'm not getting screened. Guess what? Mm-hmm. You're not driving on me. Guess what? I'm just bigger and stronger than you. And there's basically no perimeter player in the league who he's not bigger and stronger than, right? Um, there may be guys who are bigger, but they're not stronger than right. than him. They may be close to as strong, but not stronger, right? And so this was a game where I just thought he was like, I'm frustrated. We're losing. We shouldn't be losing. And we're losing because we're making a bunch of mental mistakes. And I am the sharpest person mentally. And I'm going to hold you accountable for your mental mistakes. Right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I also saw him physically not live up to the standards that he was setting for everyone mentally. And if if there's a critique that I have for LeBron this game, it's basically that. And this is why, over the course of the full game, I just felt like these guys aren't doing enough to win. Because they basically needed about a seven-minute stretch during the fourth quarter to say, we're going to take control of this game. And they didn't do it. But yeah, it's difficult to have those seven-minute stretches that you need because you have to travel such a distance between where you were and how you were playing to finals level intensity on both ends of the floor, right? Like we think of it as a switch of a binary thing of you are either doing it or you are not. But in reality, it's a spectrum, right? Where you've worked all this season, you've worked all this bubble to get up to this certain point and there's a, a certain ramp up where of course certain plays can catalyze that and get you up and going. But that inability to sustain especially was a direct result of how they played before. This is part of why the chopping wood and carrying water, if you just wait to do that until the fourth quarter, the other dude's got a nicer house than you do, right? You just, yeah. you just don't have enough time left a lot of the time. And that's why it's difficult to, to ramp up your scrambling at the end of it and have to be perfect after an entire game of not being locked in. You've put, boxed yourself into a corner where you have to do everything right, and you don't haven't been playing with that mental focus all game. Now, in terms of game four, um, I suspect that we will see LeBron and AD pick and roll a little bit more. I suspect that the Lakers will go with a bigger lineup down the stretch. I think you can play Caruso. Uh, If Butler's going to match up Hunt, I think you can play Caruso because he doesn't give up ground the way that KCP does, but I'm not sure you can play KCP down the stretch if we're going to switch. Now, what you're saying about 
plowing through the screens and LeBron staying on. That is plan A. I, I do agree with you there is to have LeBron stay at home with Jimmy because Jimmy's not going to power through him. And he, Jimmy is a better three-point shooter than his percentages indicate, but he's not going to absolutely burn you if you give him the slightest window on that shot, right? So there are there are little places in time where, say, they set a good screen and you've got a spin off of it under. If Jimmy's going to hit that pull-up while LeBron's, you know, really engaged in that and recovering as quickly as he can after fighting through the screen, you're going to live with that shot. It's the getting to the free throw line. That was something Vogel said a lot, right, is that keeping them off of the free throw line. We didn't do a good job of that. They shot 90% for the second straight game. Butler is going to use his physicality to punish our our guys. So I think that both the combination of playing a little bit bigger, which means probably no KCP on the floor, and LeBron staying home as much as possible, I think that that resolves a lot of that. And then on the offensive end, I suspect we'll see fewer of those ghost screens and those guard screens, more side pick and roll more LeBron AD pick and roll from different spots, more LeBron as a screener, as you said. Um, Perhaps our horn set that we run for KCP when he is in the lineup, I think that that's something that we can do against these hedge and recover type of schemes. These are all plays and all things that we've seen the Lakers do before that are part of the shape-shifting of what we do that are effective against drop cover, uh, against hedge and recovers. This is a different part of the playbook, and I, that's part of the reason why I think we don't adjust, especially if we're up a couple of games. We want the shock and awe of those adjustments to be live and on the court in the game and while getting the fruits of that. Um, what do you see for game four as – where do you think we'll go to try to flip this back in our favor? I mean, I'll start – or I, I guess I'll finish here with where we started, right? That there is just a certain level of engagement and commitment and focus that's going to be required above everything else, right? And so whatever they're going to do schematically, I think all mm-hmm. the ideas that that's you point, pointed yeah. to, yeah. The, like the, the Lakers are clearly going to adjust schematically, um, but the biggest adjustment they need to make is by playing harder, by playing smarter, by playing in the moment, engaged finals level basketball. They've done that for, they did that for all of game one. They did it for stretches of game two, and they did it for minutes of game three, if at all. Um, and and so first and foremost, I think that that's most important. Um, I am interested to see if the if the good game from Kuzma can carry over. Um, I think he is a prime player to be in that closing lineup yeah. um, as as another forward, right? Um, or even as a shooting guard, depending on who else is in there with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, I don't necessarily think playing Morris and Kuzma and AD and LeBron is ideal, but that may be something that could work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think the Lakers are going to close like big with Dwight and push everyone down a position. You'll have to be able to defend the perimeter if you're whoever's bigger. So it'll be – so I think Kuzma can be like a swing player in in this example, especially if Danny is not 100% physically. Jimmy was hunting Dan Danny Green too. Like he was even a bit too physical for 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 Danny, and that may have to do with the hip stuff, where he just didn't have his base as strong as what he would normally be. Um, I thought Kuz has done a decent job on Jimmy, but Jimmy represents some of the similar problems that we talked about that can give Kuz issues that like Russ gives him, right? Which mm-hmm. is getting underneath him a little bit and, and powering through. Um, I, I just think that the bigger focus when defending Jim, Jimmy in general is, is just sort of standing up to him in, in a way that is meaningful. Like don't, don't leave the gate him open. With force. Yeah, yeah. Like don't leave the gate open. Um, and a lot of that's just going to have to come down to LeBron. Like, look, it just so happens that this is the, the most natural matchup for him this series is the other team's best player, mm-hmm. at least on the wing, right? There might be scenarios where that's not the case. Um, but in this series, it is. They do not want him chasing Tyler Hero around. They do not want him chasing Duncan Robinson around. And um, unless you put AD on Jimmy Butler for an entire game so that LeBron can guard Jay Crowder. Sorry, LeBron, there's only one guy left for you to defend, and it's Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler. And so I think on some levels he has to take this matchup personally, um, and maybe next game he will. And so if there's any sort of stuff I'm looking for next game, it's like it's really just a reversal of their mentality and focus. And really for LeBron to say, you know what, I've got one monster defensive game in me. And I'm about to do it to go up 3-1. Yep. Yep. All right. Lakers drop game three. Series is 2-1. to one. Got game four on Tuesday. We'll be back to record right after that. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 15 rebounds. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, Freddie's pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pierce was jogging back, didn't bounce the court. It's a two-for-one situation.
Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, four, Kobe Bryant. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.